Welcome to Sam Roberts' show on Sirius XM. A taste of what goes down every night on Sirius XM's OB Radio. XM 103, Sirius 206. We have a guest who's just entered the studio. Ladies and gentlemen, Ann Coulter is here. Hello. Hello, Ann Coulter. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. We've been trying to set this up for a little while. I'm so sorry. No, it's not like we were like, oh... Anne had to cancel on Wednesday. What's the deal? And then Trump was like... I'm... It was the immigration speech. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, well, if the woman is promoting a book about Donald Trump, she's not even watching the immigration speech. It's not exactly a <laughs> exactly. solid... <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for being understanding. But that's why I insisted on Friday night of Labor Day to make it up. I, yeah, I, w- I, I couldn't believe most people aren't even doing shows. Everybody's already on vacation and everything. And you're, New York uh... is going to be so fun this weekend coming in the car here. I've, I, a lot of my... My friends are still in town, and I happen to love New York City, but I love it most when nobody's here. It's like Isn't a mass exodus of the city. I yeah. know, but they're all coming back. I wish they'd stay in the Hamptons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if, like, the storm came and something and just kind of cut off the island and everybody's just kind of there? You know and what I mean? And we could get around. No traffic. No, it's unbelievable. No, yeah. You can finally enjoy New York, like the things that are here. And um, may I say, introduce myself. Hello. Oh, Kathy. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you, Kathy. Yes, that's Kathy <laughs> Kelly. So, so, Anne, I mean, you've been all over with this book. And, and it's, when did you decide, I love Donald Trump so much, I love everything that's <laughs> happening so much, I need to write a book about this news cycle? <laughs> well, I decided he was my guy with the Mexican rapist speech. Won my heart forever. <laughs> that was his first speech. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I first started thinking of writing the book in January because I was pretty sure he'd be the nominee. And I was, even, in, even in the beginning, you were like, yeah, this is... Yeah, definitely nominee. You didn't um, think... Probably president. I, even still? Mm-hmm. Wow. Because when I was... Like, at first, I was... I was very interested, I'll say, in Donald Trump. I started literally on the show following everything that he did. Is he I was, hilarious? He is hilarious. <laughs> but I was like, Jeb Bush is the guy, right? Because he was the guy. Uh-huh. And I, Just like Hillary Clinton is now. <laughs> I was watching it, and it was like, I feel like the Jeb Bush saga might be the greatest tragedy in political history. I write about it in my book in a little section called Bush Family Collapses, A Nation Rejoices. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, did you but you liked did you like George W? Um he was I mean it's like poor these poor Republican candidates like Trump having to pick a moderator. It's the best of a bad lot. I see. No, I haven't liked any of them. Until, I really liked Romney. I liked Romney a lot. He had the best position on immigration until Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so you really – this isn't – because I'm sitting there watching and going like most of the country is making a lesser of two evils choice. Like these are I think the two most hated candidates ever. And you're sitting there going like no, this is in many elections – the only candidate that I've actually liked. Yes. And it's all because of immigration. Um, it's more than that. I, I admit at first um, um, his personal style was not my cup of tea. <laughs> but for one thing, I discovered. You mean the aesthetics? <laughs> well, he's coarse. He's boorish. Yes. Um, That's not your style. Not in a not a presidential candidate. Oh, okay. I was about to say because it seemed kind of like yeah, I, I get where he's going with like, this. Like he like he's the male version of me. Why? Yes, I think so. Um, and then I and I kept thinking to myself. I mean, as I write in the book that um, 
I love his positions. That's what I like him for. And that's what I think most Americans like him for. Totally contrary to what the media keeps telling you. Nobody says, eh, I don't really like his positions. I'm just voting for him because I like that personality. No, right. it's totally his positions. Most people are having to overcome his personality. Um, but then I, when, I, when I thought to myself, why couldn't Mitt Romney have taken these positions? You know, he's, he's, he's elegant. He's well-spoken. He went to Harvard. He has that beautiful family. He's only been married once. <laughs> All excellent. <laughs> uh, ex- Excellent qualities in yeah. a presidential candidate. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as you say it, you realize he couldn't take five minutes of the abuse if he were taking Donald Trump's positions. Oh, absolutely So not. what's so I, the, my second chapter is, you know, the reality TV star we've been waiting for. And I explain how the, um, a creature like Mitt Romney taking Donald Trump's positions does not exist in nature. Because if you are a tasteful person... All of your opinions are tasteful, and that means you don't care about the outer boroughs, the working class, um, the trade agreements. But Trump doesn't. I mean, he lives on Fifth Avenue. He's married to a model. All of it, you know, he's among all the fancy people, and you can just hear them trying to, to to tell him, no, 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 you can't take these positions. These are embarrassing. These are the gauche positions of people in the outer boroughs. So what do you? And do- he just says, I don't care. I still want to build a wall. What do you do when your last guy, Romney? comes out and he's one of these guys going anyone but that guy. There's no part of you that goes like, oh, maybe I was off because I liked him. But he's telling me not to vote for the guy that I like now. I, I need to reevaluate. I so upset about that. Um, I was trying to get Romney very early on. I mean, like August. Um, to come out and endorse Trump, saying because I wanted him to be Trump's vice presidential nominee. Um, you know, he could do all the boring stuff, deal with the Fed, and Trump could do the fun stuff, building the wall. <laughs> yeah. um, but I really think it's weird that Romney did this because what I liked about Romney are the positions I like in Donald Trump, but Trump takes them, talks about them more, and has made them bigger issues. Immigration. Trade with China and and the currency manipulation that was a big thing for Romney. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it issue by issue, what what is his problem with Trump? Uh, either and I actually ask him this in an email. Um, so you emailed him and asked him. I ask him the following question: So are you going to betray us on immigration? <laughs> Come on, tell me the truth. It's over. You're not running again. I just want to know. Right, right. And he said no. But the answer told me yes. <laughs> and well, the fact that he won't endorse Trump. And the other reason I think he might not endorse Trump, um, I generally do not get into psychological explanations. But their positions really are very similar on all the important stuff. So I, I happen to notice, you know, they're only six months apart when they were born. And I think there's probably some jealousy that he couldn't pull off what Trump right, is doing. Right. Well, and, and don't you think that there is jealousy from these guys that have right like built up political careers. Like if I, I'll take this step and then I'll take this step and I'll win these people over. And Mitt Romney's the one doing all the backdoor dealings yes. and like climbing that ladder. And Donald Trump just steps away from NBC and goes, "I could do this," yes. and he get he takes that spot. Like I'd be furious if I was a career politician yes. watching this guy just come on and be like, "This guy's short." This guy's got no energy. That dude's <laughs> nuts. And then everybody's like, hey, he's right. I know. You know? Yes. I'd be, yes. I'd, be, I'd be furious if I was a career politician. And they are. Yeah. But that's, that's I think, one of the attractive things about Donald Trump, right? Is yes. that he's making – if he's making career politicians furious. Yes. And career politicians have made people furious. Yes, exactly. 
exactly. then the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. Yes, no, that's chapter three of my book. <laughs> <laughs> Republicans not Republicans don't realize how much Americans hate both political parties. And if anything, yes. they hate Republicans more because we expected more of them. We know the Democrats, that's the party of Wall Street and government workers. We know they don't care about steel workers losing their jobs, or at least I did. Um, I thought my party did, but it's just been, you know, election after election where they pretend like they're for the middle class, pretend like they're for the working class, uh, and then they get to office. And um, what do you need, Wall Street? Could we write you a blank check? What else could – oh, I'm sorry. We won't be getting to that border security. Sorry about that, America. (laughs) Right. Whereas Donald Trump, he just said in, by the way, what you called – the greatest speech of all time. <laughs> Donald Trump's immigration speech. That was your quote, I believe. Yes. I, I'm not misquoting you. No, it the began speech... with, I hear Churchill had a nice turn of <laughs> phrase. But this was the most magnificent Ann, speech of all time. Ann Coulter <laughs> called Donald Trump's speech on immigration this week the best speech of all time. Um, I did think that it went back to original Trump. Like that Trump right. was the guy that you liked who was talking about the rapists. Right. That was... <laughs> Except I will say, and I, I I hate to criticize my guy, but I mean, it's weird that he went, he was like at 11 yeah. and then he, the softening comes. Well, could you just have the same positions, but maybe not be talking about the Mexican rapists all the time? Right. And that's what this speech was. This was the intellectual version of the positions I liked. And I don't think you could take anything out of that speech. I mean, I really do think it was such a beautifully formulated speech. I don't think you could take anything out of it. Show it to your average American, even people who think they hate Trump, Mm -hmm. take a paragraph out and say, in fact, don't tell them who who said it. Just do you agree with this? I don't think there is one offensive thing in that speech because he kept bringing it back to. And this is something we haven't heard in the immigration debate in my entire life. It's always about we have to find, you know, the one most sympathetic illegal alien. We're writing an immigration law. We're going to have the entire solar system be arranged around this one sympathetic illegal as opposed to what about, how about Americans? Right. And right. You know, he's sympathizing the for the home team for our immigration debate from now on is going to be. Is it good for Americans? Right. Oh, my gosh. That is so <laughs> brand new. And it's amazing that that's brand new. What did you think? Though? I feel like there is still a softening that has happened and kind of continues to happen because he was focusing when he was doing that speech. Originally, he was focusing on all illegals, get them out of here. Right. In that speech, he's focusing on illegals that are committing major crimes, get them out of here. And since the speech, he's gone on different news networks and said, we're going to get the criminals, the rapists, the murderers, we're going to get the the drug, whatever. We're going to get them out of here, and then we'll figure out what to do with the rest. Right. Now, don't you think that that we're going to figure out what to do with the rest of the illegals thing there were a couple – It's a, perhaps a little – I think it's just giving details to what I always figured was what he meant to begin with. Um, and that is there were a few other categories. It's not just the gang members and the criminals and the rapists and those who have been convicted. He said any illegals who are arrested. And He did say that. We know that if you're arrested, you're not necessarily guilty. So you don't, we don't have to wait for the conviction. You're in our custody. So if, you, if, some, if you did something stupid and end up getting yourself arrested, you're gone. Right. And the other one that's actually a pretty huge category, and it's great that he threw this in, if for no other reason, so that Americans learn this is true. Any illegals on government assistance, you know how many that is? It's like 65%. Mm-hmm. That's 65%. That's 
that's money meant for our poor people. Right. We don't have money for Social Security. You know, John Kasich and, and Paul Ryan and the rest of these Republicans, Chris Christie, they have all these ideas about how, well, we'll raise the retirement age for Social Security and Medicare. And I'm sorry, America, but we're going to have to cut back. How about we not have illegals taking it? <laughs> you just say stop giving the money to them. Give it back to us. Right. And that's the plan. Right. Now, but, but, but. And also there will be a lot of um, people that, I, I, look, I never thought there was anything offensive about the phrase self-deportation. It sounds kind of Washington wonky. Yeah. It's sort of clearer to just say they'll go home the same way they came. Right. right. <laughs> and when Eisenhower started deporting just some illegals, um, there were obviously a lot fewer in the 1950s, um, for every one illegal Eisenhower deported, 10 would leave on their own. So mm-hmm. there will be a lot of that. And uh, th- and I think he's sort of anticipating the argument, oh, every single last – we don't even know how many illegals there are. As I wrote in my last book, Adios America, um, <laughs> unquestionably, there are at least 30 million illegals, and it could be as high as 40, 50, 60 million. So you didn't you, – it doesn't stop – because right now, I mean, now that the book is out, you tie yourself to that campaign. So obviously any changes that he makes – you're going to be over there going, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, you said you were this, then I wrote the book, and now you're over there. You don't think that there is sort of a thing where he's doubling back a little bit to say there could be a scenario where we do make a home for illegal immigrants there that are might not be, causing crime. But, but but the theme of that speech being we will do what is best. The question is, is this good for Americans? I'm fine with him saying – um, yeah, if we think this illegal is going to make Americans' lives better, if they're paying more into the system than they're taking out, which very few are. That's what upset me. I mean, the day this book came out was when it was first released, that little quote of his claiming he was softening. And I went on Chris Matthews and said, well, this could be the shortest book tour ever if he's really softening. <laughs> so, you know, so I, if he had softened, you would have just been like, yeah, the book's out, but it's meaningless. <laughs> yes, I've changed my mind. Um, but... Uh, uh, I don't think we're going to find a lot of illegals. There may be some. Mm -hmm. The back taxes thing that was annoying is, which most people don't understand, illegals paying back taxes means we give them a check for their earned income tax credit money. No illegal or, you know, maybe there's one. um, No illegal makes enough money to pay taxes. I mean, other than sales taxes, that's not what you're paying the IRS. So paying back taxes means you submit a report to the IRS. They say, oh, you are making so little money. You're illegal alien. Let's the U.S. taxpayer will write you a check for $30,000. Here you are. Well, that's crazy. No, we shouldn't be legalizing those if it's going to cost us money. Right. If there's an illegal alien out there who invented, you know, an Angry Birds app or something and we can get some some money from, sure, it'll help pay for the wall. Right. So you're all about (laughs) illegals who are good with tech because that is where the money is right now. I get that. Well, that's like the only thing our country produces anymore. And again, I say go Trump. I mean, we have hollowed out the manufacturing base of America. We used to have, and I have this uh, short section on this in the book. Just in the 80s, we had more than 20,000 manufacturing jobs in America. I know this isn't big in New York City, but out in in America, that was a big, middle-class, important job. There are. I mean, it's literally put cities out of business that there are no factories in them anymore. Big cities. 11 million now. It's been halved, and the population has gotten so much bigger. Right, right. So your average American has been really suffering, and New Yorkers know about it the least because Wall Street's doing great. Mm -hmm. But you go out to America, they're really suffering. That's why, I mean, I won't be a nut and say I don't believe the polls. I guess I think the polls will change, but I really think Trump, I still think he's going to win. Do you, 
honestly believe that he's going to be able to bring jobs back yes. to America? Because I still don't understand, right? Like, I mean, you're talking about companies that are building things. The reason that jobs are overseas are because you can get work done for pennies on the dollar. Right. So if work is brought back to the U.S., it's not like minimum wage is going to go down to $1.50 an hour. Right. You know what I mean? So everything that is manufactured outside of this country, one would think the cost has to be made up somewhere. So now you're talking about paying $900 for a pair of <laughs> pants or something. You know what I mean? Isn't that or no, am I off because base? we weren't paying $900 for a p- pair of pants in the 1980s mm-hmm. when we still had 20 million manufacturing jobs. And a lot of it, I mean, he's totally right. And he's been talking about this forever. Um, the trade deals that that our country has been making, China is eating our lunch. Mexico is eating our lunch. Um, China's making a lot of money off of, quote, trade with America. They sell us their stuff. They don't buy any of ours. So th- the idea that there's going to be a 35 percent tariff is preposterous. They're making lots of money. OK, now China, he'll say to China, you'll make you'll still make lots of money, but not as much. Now you're going to buy some stuff from us. Right. And so for one thing, to get the, our, tr- quote, trading partners to start buying our goods. I mean, it was just announced Buick is making cars in China now. Buick! <laughs> That's the last one. Oh, good grief. And all this, these attacks on Trump from getting his ties made in China, I, I, because of that, you know, I looked up, well, how, how much clothing is made here in America? Right. 3%. It's very low. 3%. It's very, but that's why <laughs> pants are so affordable. Oh, come on. Pay another dollar for your pants. Employ Americans. And actually, I doubt the prices will go up that much because you will have more people buying stuff. You, why? Because there's more jobs? Yeah, because people will have more money to spend. But don't they say trickle-down economics? That sounds trickle-down. No, it's, it's It doesn't it's, really work. It's like, quite direct. No, trickle-down is what they're operating on now. Oh, oh. The, the rich Wall Street people will hire a dog walker, and that's how you make your money. <laughs> right. And a, and a personal trainer. No, this is direct jobs right. for Americans. Good jobs. Right. But enough people— So you're saying if, if we have factory workers, right? And we're paying the factory workers a livable wage. Then those factory workers are going to be able to go out and buy pants yes. that are made here. <laughs> and China and will buy the pants, too. They'll buy them from us in bulk. Right. I see. Instead of us buying from them in bulk. Right. I see. And then – and I'd imagine because a lot of those countries love American culture so much. Yeah. They're the ones that are going to be paying a ton of money for American pants. Right. Because it's going to be a special thing that we <laughs> yes. do here. I see. I see. I see. So, but let's get back to immigration for a second. And also, that's a big part of the jobs, the immigration part. Because we're dumping low-wage workers on the country. That keeps driving wages, wages down, 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 down. Right, because people know whatever they, they can get workers for oh, under yes. minimum wage because they're undocumented. Supply and demand. Right, even right. The, even the legal ones, if they're poor, if you have lots of... Lots of people applying for the same job. You're bidding the wages down. And lo- unskilled work is is I'm, it's just a disaster right now. So you're saying – because the argument is – and I would probably agree. The argument is that the work that illegals are doing is work that Americans don't want to do. That's the argument. But the – what you're saying in response is – Pay reason, them another dollar. Right. The reason Americans <laughs> don't want to do it is because it's three bucks an hour. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that happened to one of these farms. I'm usually, you know, the California farmers are very right wing, though I've I've gotten a little testy with them when I've given talks to them on there. You know, they oh, doing the work Americans won't do. Um, there was one. Um, I forget why it happened. Why would there ever have been a crackdown on guest workers? But there was at one point, mm-hmm. um, and all the farmers were bitching and complaining that we had to pay workers. And I'm not making this up. It was like three dollars more. 
And they so were just pay, to get American workers, pay them three dollars more. Right, 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 <laughs> right. And see, yeah, because you're right. Because that investment is this thing that that exists like in much it, it, a much grander scale, starts to benefit everybody right. in the whole country. Yeah. So and illegal, you know, they send most of their money home. That's yeah, why yeah, the well, New York they, Times is so into illegal immigration. They're owned by Carlos Slim, the richest man in the world. He owns 40 percent of the Mexican stock exchange. Right. Well, all these uh, – some legal immigrants, but mostly illegal immigrants. I mean, God bless them. They do work really hard. You can't hate them. I and love them. And it's not them, like they're but, making their families rich by sending the money home. It's right. like enough to get by. But it's getting it out of the U.S. economy. Right. right. That's true. That is true. Um, but isn't there something very un-American – about slowing down immigration. Like, isn't this country kind of founded on this idea? Because it seems no. like the immigration conversation, so quickly, it's one thing to have a conversation about the finances of it. Right. And I can go with you when you go like, well, X number of dollars is being given to immigrants and that's being taken away from this and the lives of Americans is diminishing because we're giving money. And that I can go with you on. But when the conversation starts to go more in like, he said... The, they have to come in and love us. He used the term. I love that. They have to love us. Now, aren't we supposed to be kind of built on a culture where different cultures come in and we all kind of. Not really. That's kind of a myth. That's I not mean, true. It, I mean, just historically, factually, it is not true. From, you know, 1640 until 1970, mm-hmm. the country was not at all diverse. It was biracial. It was about 80 to 90 percent. Not only white Western European, but pretty much just from two countries, mm-hmm. um, the British Isles and the Germans, mm-hmm. um, and then West African, about 10 to 20 percent. I mean, that is a tiny sliver of the entire globe, and we're talking about centuries and centuries. Okay, then we start getting, um, you know, for some wild diversity, we start getting, um, you know, other um, white Western Europeans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was our crazy diversity, and then that was shut down for fifty years, starting in the twenties, because too many too many immigrants were coming in, and we weren't assimilating them. And also, we had the Italian anarchists right. blowing stuff up. That had to be shut down for fifty years, from like nineteen twenty four. I think it um, it passed the immigration restriction nineteen twenty four, right up until nineteen sixty five. It was a trickle in immigration, and by the way, the biggest economic boon in American history. That's when we became the powerhouse of the world. Protectionism and immigration did it. So the the myth of Ellis Island and all these different people coming in and the Irish are over here and we're picking up this from the Irish. And, and I mean, of course, all these sort of nationalistic gangs were warring. I've seen the Scorsese movie. Yeah. That's where I get my history <laughs> from. But, but, but the takeaway is also that they each brought a little bit of culture that we took and made this other thing out of. No, that's The melting true. pot is, is a myth. Um, well, it sort of is. I mean, y- y- Italians and Irish, when you consider they were our biggest problems, I mean, now we have Somalis going off to fight with ISIS. Where <laughs> This is a little different it now. Is. It is. I mean, technology. <laughs> when we're bringing and... in people from cultures that could not be more different than ours. I mean, a Pakistani pushcart operator isn't exactly, you know, your fine craftsman from Italy. Um, so <laughs> the wacky diversity wasn't really that wacky to begin with. And yes, I, th- I mean, you, we can have a melting pot, but we're not really asking them to melt anymore. Um, it's like a hate crime to ask them to assimilate. No, we're supposed to assimilate to them. Right. And also when you bring them in in such large numbers, Benjamin Franklin shut down German immigration because he said we're we're 
a, 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 we're a British colony. We're getting too many Germans here, which is um, I don't think we stopped it soon enough because we still have this early morning rising thing that I think we got from the Germans. <laughs> Waking up early. We should have d- cut it off a little sooner. Yeah. If Trump has it. Oh, my gosh. He leaves me like four hours of sleep a night. No, I mean, I'm with you. I work nights. It's the best thing in the world because, I, like, today I woke up at, like, noon, and I was like, oh, man, it's early, you know? Yes. Yeah. See, that's my usual schedule. I Normally, like this is, like, the perfect time for a radio show for me. Yes. But my publicist has been forcing me to get up at the crack of dawn, and I hate it. Right, because people are so accustomed to these German values. They exactly. all wake up in the morning. Exactly. Okay, so Franklin shut down. And the other problem with Germans is, and I'm part German, um... <laughs> The other problem with Germans is... Well, my is, best friend's German, so which, I'm, I, it's cool. Which I see. No, I'm not enough German to wake up early. Um, but you see that German influence in the Midwest, and they're the ones who invited all the Somalis in because they're, you know, naive do-gooders, mm-hmm. whereas at least, you know, on the British Isles, we have a little more cynicism and skepticism about whether we should bring in, be bringing in entire tribes from Somalia. Oh, it'll be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think... I... I when I start getting like and I've liked a lot of stuff that Trump has said and I've made no secret about it. But when he started saying stuff like he wants to completely halt any and all Muslim immigration and he said that right as some of the attacks were happening. Right. And that's another thing that I think he's kinda of pulled back on a little bit. Well But I like to I talk me, about this in my book. I understood it at the time. Yes, there will be a Muslim you give the, ban. You, you give Trump the benefit of a doubt no, a lot. but somehow when he talks more about it, I mean, all of his supporters understood it, and I quote them in my book, mm-hmm. because um, when he came out with that Muslim ban, um, these nuts, Charles Crowdhammer on Fox News, <laughs> oh, really? We is watch he, him all the time. Is he going to keep out King Abdullah of Jordan? Well, no. Okay, there will be a Muslim ban, but there will be exceptions. I understood that. Trump supporters understood it. Both CNN and MSNBC, or maybe it was NBC, they instantly that day fly down to a rally in, I don't know, North Carolina, whatever the next primary was, and they're interviewing Trump supporters. And uh, I saw one of them, but I mostly read it on Nexus. And it was totally hilarious because they each separately, they interviewed like 10 supporters. Uh And they just had complete... Complete calm with the Muslim ban. They were perfectly lovely about it. They were nice Americans. They understood that, no, he won't take the additional 17 steps that only a psychotic could imagine. They understood it's a general statement of policy. There will be, no, we won't stop the returning military um, man who is a Muslim. He will still be allowed in the country. But it's the general idea. And at the time, we were all saying, because how do you do that? Do you make them eat bacon? Um, (laughs) Everybody understood it, I think. Well, no, what you do is you various Muslim and terrorist-producing countries. We just stop issuing visas to those countries for a while. Do you think that people understand more of Trump than they admit to, but because they don't like him or because they don't share his agenda, that they are like the CNNs, the MSNBCs? And by the way, for a while— Fox News was uh, also yeah. very anti-Trump. I think they still are. They have to slow walk it or they lose all their viewers. <laughs> yeah, they just have to be like, oh, yeah, and then Trump did this. It was good. Because CNN and MSNBC are still vehemently Hysterical. anti-Trump. Vehemently. It does. Fox News begrudgingly has become a right. pro-Trump. Uh, uh, network. Or at least they're anti-Hillary, whereas you will never hear an unkind word about Hillary on MSNBC or no. CNN. No, you wouldn't. All you hear is about the, the villainous people that are saying unkind words about Hillary. Like, can <laughs> right. you believe they're saying this? And right. about a woman. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Not about her. No. <laughs> 
Are you surprised that, that, that there's not like it does seem like Trump's history and, and Trump has this benefit, right, of not being a politician. Yeah. So all these skeletons that have come out about him, for the most part, I've been saying have not been we're taking skeletons out of the closet. They're like, mm-hmm. the skeletons have been in his living room. Yes. Like they, we've yes. all seen them. Yes. Like this very public interview from 2001, he said this, and you're like, yeah, I heard it in 2001. It was a <laughs> yes. very, it was Howard Stern. It was like everywhere. But, <laughs> but it does seem like that stuff really gets tried to pound, they try to pound it in, right? Yeah, yeah. And a lot, and, and it only, it, it sticks for a second and then it kind of floats away because people realize it's, it's Donald Trump. And it's been there. It's, he's <laughs> right. been Donald Trump forever. Whereas the Hillary stuff, it's so sort of nonspecific and wishy-washy and wait, that seems bad. And then nah, over here, right. over there and distraction and uh, that that it doesn't get really addressed, does it? Well, I, I, the media doesn't want to address it. I mean, all of these, I mean, the, just the, this is like the least of the problems with the pay for play with the Clinton Foundation and the State Department. But just yesterday, the emails come out. I just find these funny ones with all these um, wealthy Wall Street swine <laughs> sending an email saying, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like a diplomatic passport, please. I, I, I can't stand <laughs> putting up with those lines. They're just getting unbearable. I can't stand with the other people. It's, oh, it just makes me laugh seeing their names out there. <laughs> <laughs> you like it. <laughs> what? Oh, come on. <laughs> you said earlier that you were like uh, uh, that. It's the Trump policies that are getting people on board. Yeah. But one of the biggest criticisms of, of Donald Trump is that he has no policies. I have a chapter on that. Tell me about the chapter. Because. You are such a perfect interviewer. I was just it's thinking. It's like we're that. going through chapter by chapter. <laughs> because <laughs> it seems like he doesn't. No, he's the only one with policies. I never okay, that realized. Okay, that is very, very opposite of what literally anybody else has said. I know, but I will explain this, and it's made very clear in the book. I never realized how much I hated politicians until Trump ran, because thank God he's not a politician. What politicians do, which makes you think they're answering the question, is repeat the question to you, give you a little history, tell you about the economy. So I have like four questions and answers in a row mm-hmm. in the same debate from Mark. Marco Rubio. And it's like, um, what would you do to create small businesses? And he gives a little lecture on the economy. He tells us how Amazon would do business and says something like, and we need to do better. Um, How about uh, what would you do about the border? Uh, Well, people are frustrated. I'm listening to the people. I've been to the border and people are just they don't think the border is working for them. That's the sort of thing you get. Trump has never gone to the classes to learn how to not answer a question. That's true. And and in the very same debate, one of his um, it was either Christy or Kasich were taunting him saying, oh, he says he's going to bring jobs back. How how is he going to do that? And they go to him and he says, oh, yes, it's very simple. Um, I will renegotiate the trade deals with China and Mexico. I will bring so many jobs back, so many jobs. And what else? He may have had something else, but direct answer, direct point. What are what's Hillary's position on E-Verify? Does any sorry, E-Verify is what um, it's a very quick system the government has had for a while where an employer can check to see if you're hiring an American. Mm-hmm. And it takes like 10 seconds. It's 99 percent accurate. Um, you can appeal. No one gets thrown out of the country or out of a job you have. Um, it gets checked if you're contesting it. Um, and the employers don't like that because they want the cheap illegal labor. Mm-hmm. Um, Trump says he'll enforce it. What does Hillary say? Do we know? Yeah, no, I don't know what any of the other Republicans' positions were on it. Yeah. 
And we had 800 million debates, and I don't know what their position was. I know it, and they're all imitating his position on trade now. Paul Ryan in my own party, big, fat, phony liar. He wants to, he's just, you know, the, the, the butt boy for the rich. And same <laughs> right. thing with Hillary. Both of them have suddenly— Butt girl for the rich. Butt girl for the rich. Yeah. Both of them have totally switched their positions. They were both totally for this Trans-Pacific Partnership deal, which is a trade deal that for any books or um, jobs that haven't been sent to Mexico, they will be sent to Asia Mm -hmm. under the TPP, as it's called. The Sanders voters are really ginned up about this. Hillary called the TPP the gold standard of trade agreements. Last week, I saw her giving a speech saying she's against the TPP. They're all mimicking Trump's positions because he's the only one who just looks around the country, sees what's wrong, and he knows how to fix it. And all of a sudden people are like, yeah, I like this guy. And everybody goes, Wait, what? Yes. What? He's not talking like us, though. But don't you think that Trump is – what he's very good at is using his words to create this sort of uh, seed of doubt where he doesn't actually – like, and, and, and he doesn't – he does it a little bit for policy, but more like when he's taking shots at people. Like he's <laughs> There's really not a lot of a seed of a doubt when he's taking a shot. <laughs> but like, like he'll really, he will really hint that maybe, maybe Obama is Muslim, and maybe he's on the side of the terrorists. <laughs> like that's what he'll he'll hint. He'll be like, well, you know, Obama. There's some really bad stuff there. And, you know, we won't even get into it. But And then he keeps going on to the next thing. Or like when the Hillary emails, before that came out, I remember Donald being on Fallon and he's just going like – and Fallon goes like, well, what do you think is in the emails? I mean really bad stuff. Really bad stuff. And it's enough to like infect the sort of American public with like, oh, it's probably really bad without actually – saying anything that's going to be questioned or that has to be answered to. Um, like, don't you think he does that a lot? I, I think I'd need a better example. I mean, on the last one, what do you think is in the Hillary emails? What are you supposed to say to that? Who Bad knows? Stuff. It's like, Bad stuff. It's like, or, what, what, is it gonna, who's going to win the election? That's why I hate getting the poll questions. I don't know. Let's wait and see. Right, right. Or <laughs> what about, what what about do like... What you think is going to be in the emails? What um, about when he just sits there and, like, his big thing is, like, we're going to win so much you're going to be tired of winning. That. You love that. Oh, I love I'm going to go to sleep listening to that. Well, <laughs> he's like Vince Lombardi. He's like, he's just a coach and he's telling you just the things you need to hear to get fired up. And you don't know why. But he does give these pre- precise policies. And um, I mean, if you compare it to the talking points, the standard politicians talking points, I've wanted to strangle them for like eight billion things that I mentioned in the book before this, I have a chapter on you're not Reagan because my party, uh, oh my gosh, the way they think they're constantly imitating Reagan. For one thing, they're itchy trigger finger with the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, but they know Reagan was really tough on Russia. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I wouldn't want to live there, but that's not really our big problem right now. Right. It's really more Islamic terrorism. And and the other thing they do is is they – and they'll actually just say this, and I have an optimistic message. I mean, all this happy talk about optimism, and I'll bring back optimism. Opti- Reagan wasn't optimistic when he was running against Carter. In fact, I have like five lines from his one debate with Carter. Wow, it sounds like, like Trump, including on trade deals, the inner cities, how the country's falling apart. It could be too late. No, he was optimistic after he had been president for eight years. Mm -hmm. Then he was optimistic. But these guys, they're all aping they're all aping Reagan, and I think tr- he's the only one who will just come out and tell you and give you answers on questions. Um, the attacks are funny. I also have a comparison between Rubio. When Remember when Rubio was trying to be Trump? Oh, it was awful. 
Was that embarrassing? Oh. When he did the, first of all, like. They don't understand. He started, I remember, because he did the small hands yeah. thing. And I knew, he, when he did the small hands thing, he was literally stealing what John Oliver had done. Like a week before, John Oliver had made a joke about small hands, and it kind of worked because John Oliver had put it together, and he's got a team of writers. Yeah, and you're blah, blah, being blah. nice, to John Oliver. It sounds stupid then too. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> but, it's the hackiest of all hacky jokes. But when Rubio did it, it was so awful. And then the fact that Donald Trump is able to turn it around and point out the fact that he has a pretty nice piece at the same time. It's like Rubio's got to be sweating in his suit like, oh, no, I've given him the opportunity to say that his dick is pretty good at at a debate. Well, I will I will admit to you that was not my favorite moment for Donald (laughs) Trump bragging about the size of his pecker. But he was he was pushed to the mat on that one. But I could do side by side their jokes. And what's it? What nobody what none of these politicians, none of them are funny and Trump is funny. He has he is fi- very funny. And what he does is he finds something that is true about people. Absolutely. And then goes off on that. So with I, I do a quote because CNN did them side by side when Rubio was trying to do Trump. And I go through a paragraph of Trump's and I know it always kinds of ruins a joke to analyze it, but I do analyze it and go through what Trump said. And he, he, it was. It made me laugh. It makes me laugh out loud just thinking about it now. But what he will—you'll have to read the paragraph. But he will hit on things that are true about Rubio. He looks fourteen. He sweats <laughs> like a rabies victim. He has ears the size of Arkansas. Right. And then you go to Rubio's joke, and Rubio's joke is just about how Trump was nervous and he was going to wet his pants at the debate, and he was wearing so much makeup. It was just—it doesn't. Nobody thinks Trump looks nervous. Nobody's ever said it. That. Doesn't land. You can say it about anybody. It was just the generic nonsense. They don't understand why Trump is so good. At that. I, mean, I mean, he's low also he's also Jeb. That, that I was just about to say about Jeb because <laughs> Trump's ruthless, and people don't understand that Trump knows what the truth is, and he has no manners about it when he gets yes. pushed. And like to me, the quintessential moment in the Jeb Trump thing, and when I knew that Trump was this was totally different, is like when they're standing up at that debate, and Jeb starts pushing Trump. You're not going to be able to keep America safe. And Jeb says, my brother kept America safe when he was president. And Trump – I feel like that was the moment. And Trump turns around and he goes, your brother was president when the biggest terror attack that ever happened in this country. Like he sat there and he's like – Not 9-11. Did he he just blame Bush for 9-11 to his brother? And it was like, <laughs> what's Jeb? And Jeb. That was not in Jeb's talking points. He had no idea. And it's amazing that my party did not have a response for that because it is true. Yeah, it, of course it's true. And Jeb's a deer in headlights at that point. Go, yes! uh, you're not supposed to say that. That's disrespectful. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I guess I didn't mean to then. And and it was a good point. I mean, that I distinctly remember that debate because that was one of the times I wanted to shoot my TV over something Trump had said. Um, but then that was my, one of my first discoveries. Yeah. As we saw this week, sometimes when, when you wanted to um, strangle Trump or attach electrodes to that apparently enormous pecker of his <laughs> so I could, you know, blast it when he says something I don't like. I, I've, I've started say, saying to my friends, just wait, wait a few days, wait and see what happens. We're all mad at him for this thing he said. And that was the debate. And it was that exact exchange. Yeah. Um, 
he has a good argument on 9-11, which he had made before, and that is those hijackers may not have been in the country under my immigration policy mm-hmm. because he's going to be given a, an extra little look at the Muslim immigrants coming mm-hmm. in. And he's right about that. And at the prior – I wrote about this in a column at, at, at one of the debates with Gore. George Bush had actually – Gore brings up racial profiling. And what does Bush take it to? You won't believe it if you didn't read my column. He brings it up to racial profiling, brings it back to racial profiling of Arabs at airport security, which he is against. And we have to do something about that. Right, of course. And then the guy who gave Muhammad Atta his ticket, he, mm-hmm. they started in um, Portland, Maine that day, I think. The guy who gave him his ticket later said, when I looked at Muhammad Atta, I got a chill up and down my spine, but I gave myself a politically correct slap. And said, oh, he's probably just an Arab businessman. I'm not going to think about this. So Trump actually has a good argument that, yeah, um, George Bush's pussy policies on racial profiling um, could well have contributed to 9-11 and might not have happened under Trump. But instead of making the good argument at the debate, what he said was (laughs) he attacked Bush and he claimed that – Bush had had lied us into the war in Iraq, which, um, look, I was a big fan. It's a disaster now. I yeah. don't want another Iraq war. I think in the future we just got to go in, knock them out, and pull out. You think you were wrong? Run. No, to have supported I, it. I don't, but I I think it's water under the bridge, which is why I'm. I mean, at least have you been wrong before? Um. Yes, I think. Um. I. No, I think I was right when I supported Hillary over McCain. <laughs> okay, so 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 it's tough for you. Tough to think of a time when you were wrong. I may have been wrong about the war in Iraq, but we'll leave that aside for now because I want to point out this genius thing that Trump does because okay. it happened again this week. So I'm thinking, but he, nobody lied to get us into the war in Iraq. Maybe it was a mistake, right? But nobody lied. You don't think there was this this effort where it's like we have to create evidence. To get ourselves no. a war. Everybody thought he – and by the way, that was not the reason I was for the war. I was mm-hmm. for it for every other reason. I just enjoyed the weapons of mass destruction point because we could taunt the New York Times with it because they so love the UN. It does seem to me like as far as the war goes because there are a lot of people that are going to be listening to that and being like, that's horseshit. He was definitely lying. But I've always felt that if you're going to go – to all the effort to falsify documents <laughs> to say that we found these weapons of mass destruction, it's one extra step to actually falsify evidence of weapons. Right, yeah. Like if they were <laughs> going to lie about point. everything, I feel like they would have also just Plans found some, some fake weapons. weapons. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that tough if you're going to lie about everything else. That's a really good point. But the fact that that step wasn't taken. That's a really good point. Makes me realize that it was just kind of an ill-informed operation. Yeah, yeah. Um and that's when I wanted to shoot my TV with Trump saying, which, I mean, that's like a moveon.org argument that we were lied into war. I don't even think the New York Times would say that. They'd mm-hmm. say we shouldn't have gone. Right. But, um, in any event, I thought, oh, do you have to sound like an idiot? Um, but then, over the next few days, that was right before the South Carolina primary. That was supposed to be Ted Cruz's firewall. It's all the evangelicals he's going to clean up in South Carolina. <laughs> of course he is. The rest of that week, you would not know Ted Cruz was running. Every single TV show or radio show started with Jeb versus Trump. Jeb versus Trump. Absolutely. And what Trump ended up doing, and he always does this when he says something stupid, and I love this about him. I'm going to adopt it as my my personal behavior model. Um, <laughs> he will never say he said something wrong. He will never 
apologize. Like you just did. What he does is, <laughs> what he does is the next, like the next day, if he says, say he says um, um, white, and the answer is black. Mm-hmm. Um, the next day he'll say, well, I shouldn't have said eggshell. <laughs> and then an hour later, I shouldn't have said Battleship Gray. But we're going to move and on, but later, quickly move on. And then later, we finally yeah. get to, he always said black. <laughs> <laughs> right. But there's never a technical, I'm switching my position. <laughs> right, right, right. It's just like it's new information Trumpian has been presented, and I don't know what that was. But there's, I shouldn't have said that. But this is what it is. This is what we know it is. And blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's, I mean. Trump is such a master of promotion, yes. and you have been such a master of promotion for so long. Unintentionally. I just say you what don't I in- think I believe, and everybody attacks me. So so when did you become <laughs> okay with that? Because, I mean, I, I it must have been at this point, I saw you when I was going to school in Syracuse. Did you, you did come? A, I spoke y- there. Yes, I came. But this was, like, probably 10 years ago. I was writing treason. Yes, I yes. remember that because I had because I got snowed in. Oh my gosh, I, they got a lot of snow up there, and I had to. And it was due the next day, and I had to do it on this eight hundred train ride home because the <laughs> flights weren't leaving. Oh, I will never forget that. <laughs> it's a terrible place. It snows all the time. But I remember sitting there, and this was before like the alt right movement, and this was before safe spaces, and this was before <laughs> people talked about the fact. That, you know, a lot of conservative people were having shitty times going to colleges, right. even though you were, because I remember sitting in the auditorium and listening to you speak. And I was just kind of getting into the whole world of, of, of politics and everything that was going on. And just in the middle of your speech, you hadn't even gotten to anything really <laughs> inflammatory yet. And this girl just stands up and screams, you Nazi! <laughs> and marches out. <laughs> and I remember sitting there going... I'm not sure that accomplished anything. It's not like an army left with you. It's just you, the one girl, screams Nazi at you. You kind of take a pause. You let her leave. And you go, anyway, as I was saying. Like, at what point, because there are a lot of people that would really get shaken up by that, that would go back to their hotel and be like, oh, man, I hope I'm not really a Nazi. Like, no, I've I've thought this through, and I am I'm pretty sure I am not a Nazi. You know, you're you know you've researched the Nazis' stance on things, yes. and you've realized that your viewpoints do not match right, up. Right, right, right. At, at what point did you develop a skin thick enough that you could handle? Like that level. And then social media starts going and it's like literally. And by the way, I so miss college leftists, that kind of thing. I get such a kick out of it. You love that. I love it so much. So when the girl stands up, (laughs) this like 19 year old who thinks she's got the whole world figured out, by the way. Right, right. And and screams Nazi at you as if like she's going to go back to her dorm room and be like, that's the last you'll hear of Ann Coulter. (laughs) No more of her. I did it. I put her in her place. Like you love that knowing that like. I got her all riled up. And all really that's going to happen is if she gets any attention for it, it's just going to put more of a spotlight on on Ann Coulter. I guess that's right. I I must say I never really thought it through. I just – like Donald Trump, I just wasn't born for the nerve endings that make you care about what other people think. You don't care. I just keep saying what I think is true and sometimes people end up cursing and yelling at me. (laughs) It is what it is. Well, you went to – I guess, yeah, when you go through law school, lawyer, blah, 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 like people hate lawyers. 
I hate lawyers. So I guess if that's <laughs> so if I that's, hate myself. If that's the direction you're going in, yeah, you're in school studying <laughs> right. to be this lawyer, and everyone's like, "But fuck lawyers!" And you're like, "Well, so be it." And instead, I became something lovable, like a Nazi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and it's got to feel good. But but I do think that you know when you're getting your viewpoints across that you get them across in such a way that riles people up. Like, I think you know this is going to upset people. I suppose there is a that part disagree of me, with me. That, <laughs> that knows Yeah. That. Like, I feel like there's... Although part of it is, I mean, I'm trying to think, if there were no liberals... Right. Um, or at least not hysterical liberals. A lot of the things I write, I write or say, right. just because I think, you know, they'll give my friends a laugh. <laughs> I'm not really even so much thinking of liberals. Right. Right. But you know that you're, it'll give your friends a laugh. Because it will because annoy it'll get liberals. People okay, angry. fair point. It'll you're get right. people upset. You're right. You're I right. feel like, like the alt-right movement has like blown up recently. and like the I've mo- never heard of it until a month ago. Really? Suddenly every mainstream media reporter is calling. And by the way, luckily, I looked it up before answering the first time. <laughs> because I thought they just meant like right-wingers online. No, it's I like, had no idea. I had to look it up, and I was a little offended. But then I read Milo's um, article on the alt right in uh, Breitbart, and mm-hmm. I thought, "Oh, okay, they, they sound kind of fun." Are you a Milo fan? Huge. I feel like the Milos of the world, because I've had Milo on before too. I'm, <laughs> I'm also a fan of Milo's. But and, and by the way, like what drives me crazy is. Like, do I agree with everything that you say politically? Absolutely not. Do I agree with everything Milo says politically? Absolutely not. Do I think cancer is better than feminism? <laughs> if pushed to it, I would say no. Feminism is probably like – if I had a daughter, I would prefer she be – me personally. I would prefer she be a feminist than that I watch her die of cancer. But that's – but regardless – you can appreciate. I've forgotten about that yeah, position oh yeah. of my life. He prefers he prefers cancer to feminism, <laughs> but it's like it reminds you, like the absurdity of the whole thing right. reminds you of this idea that we are supposed to be able to have disagreeable opinions, right? And I kind of feel like your movement, and I guess there were people before there was Ian Coulter, but you've been writing books for so long now, and you've put out like you're putting you put them out so quickly. This is faster than usual. This was an emergency. Well, you had to get this out now. I usually take a year off before the next book. This is why none of my friends have seen me for the last two years. First, (laughs) I was writing and then publishing or promoting Adios America and then the dawn of Trump. (laughs) (laughs) So you knew from that speech, I got to write this book. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, it took me like two weeks. I was, I was expecting him to back down because we've right. been betrayed so many times on immigration right. and the whole world came and jumped on his head and I just watched in amazement that he didn't back down. When you see the Milos of the world though, and people like that and the whole movement, uh-huh. do you kind of, do you feel a little bit like the godmother of it? Oh, thank you. I hope so. You do. You do. <laughs> I'd be so proud. You would. <laughs> One of my friends said to me, because he loves Milo, he said, who is this Milo? He's stealing your act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no. I may go on some of his college tour with him this fall. Oh, my. Do you know how much? That would absolutely destroy. 
destroy. <laughs> Would he rename? Because right now. I know. We'd have to change the titles for mine. It can't be the Dangerous Faggot Tour. <laughs> right. That one. The Dangerous Faggot Tour and Ann Coulter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of odd. Or with Ann Coulter. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know exactly how you would phrase it. But we have a lot of fun together, so I definitely want to join him for some of those. Tell me about, because I, I mean, I, people are questioning the uh, promotional move for you to jump on the Rob Lowe roast of Comedy Central. Oh. <laughs> now, for anyone to question the promotional move, I don't know how you could question it right. based on the fact that... It's their highest rated show. And you're the only... The show hasn't even aired yet, and you might as well have been the only person there. Like, <laughs> right. they're talking about you or the jokes that other people made about Me. you. Like, yes. I know Jewel was there because of what she said about Ann Coulter and yes. Pete Davidson and all these people. Um, no, Drudge called me the other day upset that I wasn't on the marquee. What is this? It was the roast of you, Anne. Why, why are they pretending this was yeah. a roast of someone else? Exactly. Exactly. Now, when, they're, when they are, everybody's destroying you. Like, like David Spade. is Jewel. When Jewel is just Jewel's what Jewel says. Hers was, I must say, that a few of them were funny. Most of them were not. That was my main objection. It wasn't funny. But, like, but for me. Hers was kind of funny. I will give her credit. But she didn't write it. No, they. But at least it, ha- it it was a joke. At least there's a twist at the end. You're standing on what, stage and yelling "Ann Coulter" is a c word. I don't see the funny little twist at the end. That's Pete Davidson. But he called. He didn't just say c. He said, uh, "Ann Coulter is here. If you are here, Ann, who is scaring the crows away from our crops?" So he's saying you look like a scarecrow. Yeah, see, that isn't that funny. And then he said, oh, and then it said, David also, Davidson also described Coulter as a racist cunt. Yeah, it really seems direct and. Yeah, but this, I'm I'm still waiting for the joke here. But right. a few of them are jokes. Um, what's so, her name? Um, Glazer had one Nikki that was Glazer. a joke, but most of it was not. And by the way, the only guy who was really funny, I mean, yeah. other than me, and I killed. You did? I did, but I think they're going to edit it. To, based on how I was treated, my suspicion is the editors aren't big Ann Coulter fans because <laughs> you can edit anything. But, of course. But, you know, they all called me the Hitler, Nazi, Klan, 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 C-word, yeah. C-word, C-word, Hitler, Klan, C-word, C-word, effing C-word. Um, and then after two hours of that, and now we on Coulter. <laughs> so it wasn't the easiest audience, but all I had was jokes, and I didn't go blue, and I wasn't mean, and they laughed, and I got to really promote who my helped book. You, who helped you write jokes? Because I know that you have a lot of comedian friends. Yeah, unfortunately, they all hate roasts. Oh, so they won't. <laughs> no, it really kind of ticked me off. Yeah. My main friend... I'm not allowed to say he's my friend or he'll never work in Hollywood again. Um, but he is a comedy genius. And I um, I probably, well, well, they've already edited the roast. They're going to destroy me anyway. Who cares? They weren't very funny, the writers they gave me. And it, it kind of depressed me. So I called them up and I said, oh, my gosh, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. I hate Roseanne. That's, <laughs> That's it. That's it. He wouldn't help me. But my friend Ned Rice did help, and he was moving. He, at first, he told me, absolutely, no, I can't. I'm moving. I'm in the middle of a divorce. I, I have to get a new place to live. I have to pack up. I Blah, blah, blah. Um, and God bless him. I think he read their jokes to me, and he was so offended as a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> he sent me some jokes. and uh, But some of it was, some of it was mine, and... Um, Oh, my friend Ross Bennett gave me the great idea to, for, with the opening with my book. What was the opening with the book? Well, I ended up having to ad-lib the opening on the spot, having seen two hours of myself being called the C-word. Sure. So I, instead, I switched it to, um, 
welcome to the Ann Coulter Roast featuring Rob Lowe. <laughs> and uh, it's really it's so exciting for a right-wing hate monger to be here in this gl- glittering crowd of fabulous Hollywood celebrities that's not an Obama fundraiser. Right. And I just want you to know I'm here because of my love and respect for Rob Lowe. It has nothing to do with this being the next stop of my press junket <laughs> for my new book, In Trump We Trust, E Pluribus Awesome, which I then pulled out and put on the podium. Do you think they're gonna? Uh, do you think they're gonna edit out the book plug? I hope not. That'd be shitty. That would be. That would be shitty. Jewel said, "I want to. I want to smarten people up because you said you like Jewel's joke. It well, said, it's at least a joke, right? Yeah. You're acknowledging that, yeah. that there was some scale to it. Uh-huh. She said." I do want to say as a feminist that I can't support everything that's been said tonight, but as someone who hates Ann Coulter, I'm delighted. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. Right, 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 right. And, it's not, and you know, I found it too ironic that, like, I feel like, and I've said this before, aside from anything that happened at the Ann Coulter slash Rob Lowe roast, <laughs> that, like, the anti-bully culture oh, yeah. is this culture that just waits for a villain, right? Like, I feel like any time... You know, Don Imus, for instance, became, oh, he did something bad. That means we can all bully right. him. Whoever it is at the moment, all this stuff, because humans need to bully. Humans, yes. they, they have to. Yes, yes, yes. This and, is a brilliant psychological point, Sam. And, and, and that, that when there's somebody that we can, all the good people, yes. quote unquote, can agree that's the villain. It we has can to all, come out. If we can all gang up on one person, that means none of us are the bad guy. So we can... And also, you're just you're dying to make fun of things you want to make fun of, but you're not allowed to make fun of. Right. So this right. finally, it has to come out someplace. So it comes out at Ann Coulter. Right, and I find <laughs> it very ironic. I don't mind like like Pete Davidson is not. He, he says terrible things about everybody. So it's not like it's Pete Davidson who's the hypocrite, but it's to me when the media embraced it. Every article that came out about you was like, this is so much fun. They took a big <laughs> shit on Ann Coulter and were happy about it. And it's like I start going. Aren't you, you the, the guys people talking about how you terrible threw Milo bullying off is. Twitter? Exactly. Exactly. No, and and I don't mind it. I would have liked more humor, I admit. But I don't mind at all. I really don't care. It's just words. I have no problem with it. Um, so could more people start developing my thick skin? Could we go going forward? Can you take my attitude toward this? If I, was, I can just spread the joy here yeah. of not walking around with thin skin. I was just talking about it last night. Like if you could, if there were more celebrities that could just put their phone away for the weekend, not make a big announcement. I'm not tweeting anymore. Right. But just put their phone away for the weekend. Right. Let trolls get tired and move on to something else. <laughs> then pick their phone back up. Right. They wouldn't. It wouldn't be a thing. But who? cares about trolls cares? it's so it's... crazy these these little snowflakes and right. i'm not a snowflake i my friend one of my friends actually ned came running up to me at the first break and i was smiling and pleasant sure um but i just again i didn't find the funny twist that ann coulter is is a c word and they said you have to laugh you have to laugh and and i said i can't i can't act i'm sorry <laughs> it's not funny to me it's, it's not no that joke. it's about me. Right. It's just, a lot of it wasn't funny, Sam. Right, right. But, but it's that thing. We, everybody laughed and everybody had a good time because it's like, finally, we could just point to that one person and go, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what I think. I don't know. Obviously, I haven't seen it yet. But it sounds like that's what. I wish it could be just run was. straight with no editing. Yeah. Yeah, and just let let the truth be I what wish. it is. One day, the, I, I, they, but they'll never do them live because they always have that to kind of sweeten it. That would have been so much better for me. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because then it's the truth. Why did you do? Whose idea was it for you to do the roast? Did Comedy well, Central call asked, you? Yeah, they were very, and they had all these arguments. And my publicist starts to give me all the arguments for me to do it. But all she had to say was, "It's their highest rated show, and they'll mention the book." Yeah. <laughs> you had no idea though that it would be like it would become the Ann oh, Coulter no, show. No, 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 I did not. Wow. And who's like who's responsible for the fact that that becomes a thing because it hasn't aired yet. So obviously it's reports from... I assume from... it's the comedy writers. I got to say they... Like who's... But who's responsible... There are probably some good comedy writers and I... And, and I no, no, no. But I mean who's responsible bit... for it becoming... Like the, you becoming the story of the roast? Do we know? Like all the articles about the roast happening... Oh, I think there were people in the audience. It was it was pretty striking. Uh, so really, it's not like they're just twisting it. It's I don't like think you anybody had show. to send out a press release. <laughs> <laughs> it was heavy on the Coulter material is what you're telling yes. me. I see. I see. The only one who was funny, again, apart from me, um, <laughs> was the British comedian. And, and Oh, um, Jimmy Carr. I've never heard of him before. He was the only one who was actually funny, and I was actually laughing until he gets to me, and then he's Linda Blair and The Exorcist. It was the weirdest thing. You mean he becomes venomous, you mean? It was just non-funny bile. Right, right, right. He just he starts just insulting instead of joking. And there was – wait, I'll, I'll, I'll admit there were a few good ones on me. OK, the other good one was um, Nikki Glazer's um, – The Mexican one? The one I saw and not um, and you are awful. The only person who will ever make you will ever make happy is the Mexican who digs your grave. No, didn't. Still looking for the punchline in that one. <laughs> no, she had one. I saw Ann Coulter um, in Chipotle today um, ordering or ordering to go, ordering to go. She wanted the Mexicans to go. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's clever. That's funny. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. The Jewel one was a good one. And there was one other one that did have, you know, like a twist. And it isn't just you're ugly, you're a C-word, <laughs> right. you're a Nazi. Are you glad that you did it? Or would you have... Uh, I would like to know if it affected book sales. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's all I You'll care about. You'll take the abuse if more people buy the <laughs> yes. book. I have to imagine that, like, it can't hurt getting your name in the newspaper as much as it got. And I it hasn't even aired so. yet. So you would think – because there is a percentage, right? Like there's – and you have to know because this is your business. Like if you become public enemy number one – because just about every time you put out a book, it people get reminded that you're public enemy number right. one. And there are a lot of people – you have a huge audience that would just buy whatever book you put out. But you have to remind the people – like That have, I have a book out. Right. And I think there's a big audience that buys your book to find out how bad you are. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't think so. I wish they did. You know, I met one of my biggest fans mm-hmm. um, a few years ago. I was a young kid. He's probably at this point your age because this was like four years ago. He comes mm-hmm. into a radio show I'm doing, KABC in L.A., and he has a stack of my books. And so I'm signing them. I'm about to go on AR and chit-chatting with him. And he had gone to um, UCLA, I think. Mm-hmm. And I just said, so how did you – you know, you're just out of – college how did you become such a big Ann Coulter fan and he said well I first heard your name when I was um, making signs to protest you when you were coming to the college and I was standing outside your event with a bullhorn denouncing you and then I was in a bookstore one time and I saw one of your books and I thought I'm going to see what this this evil woman has to say right and he said he starts flipping through the book thinking wait I agree with that. Right. This isn't mine. <laughs> I agree with that. And he suddenly then now he's one of my biggest fans because he's read them all. Right. Right. So but if that they happened, did but... pick them up. 
Oh, so you think that the people who bought your book because they hate you would probably become fans. convinced? You would you would convince them? I think so. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Most people who hate me haven't read me. Did you have you have you ever? In thought... fact, my friend met Gavin McGinnis. You must know him. Of course, right? I know Gavin. Yeah. Um, he made he offered a liberal he knew who was denouncing me, um, and this was like two years ago. I got to check with him on this. He offered him some ridiculous amount of money, like ten thousand dollars, to read an Ann Coulter book. And he said, "Look, I know you're a liberal. You're not into reading. I'll give you one year." And the guy was saying, <laughs> you're no, a liberal, I won't you're not it. into reading. <laughs> <laughs> the guy was refusing to do it. He may have gotten, kept offering more and more money and it got up to 10. But no, they won't read me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's when you know it's like, who am I arguing with now? Yeah. Like if you refuse. But do you feel like you'll see the other side? Like, oh, totally. So you won't, you don't think that you're blinded to your side? No, because my side, I mean, it's kind of a weird side. It's mm-hmm. been... I guess because you are now disagreeing with so many in the conservative party. And I have for a while and disagreed with the right. only, quote, conservative network for about a decade now right. on the issue of immigration. What do you think of, uh, I mean, while I have you here, and the, 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 the world seems to be talking about this Colin Kaepernick not standing for the Pledge of Allegiance... I'm with Trump. Find another country. Right. You're saying get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's not that. I, I, does it matter if he stands up or not? Do you care? Well, he made a he made a point of it. If he had just because he made the statement, right? So once he makes this the statement, is a country and says, that he's making millions of dollars, and also. I mean, I guess this is a a separate point, but I really think it's an ugly and bad thing the media and Hollywood are doing to constantly, constantly, constantly tell black people that whites hate them, Mm -hmm. that we are racist against them, that you are surrounded. I mean, how many times do I every time you turn on TV, it's another Roots replay. I'm listening to NPR on the way home yesterday. It's a whole, you know, retrospective on the Klan. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 60 years ago. Why are you? And meanwhile, you're taking jobs away. You're letting the inner city fall apart. So, you, so these are the most vulnerable people. They don't have jobs. You know they're going to have a lot of jobs when we start building that wall. <laughs> and it's good for young men with a lot of testosterone. Right, to get those um, bricks, instead, lay those bricks. Yeah, somebody's got to. Instead, you have all this, you know, unemployment, misery, hopelessness in the inner city. And the overlay is all of culture is telling Black people, whites did this to you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and we end up with an awful lot of racist murders. I mean, the two of the cops in um, Baton Baton Rouge, was it? And the, and uh, Dallas. Dallas, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was the other one in Baton Rouge, right. wasn't it? Right, I, I believe. Think it was Baton Rouge. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you can't The just... place north of New Orleans. And, I um, no, there are a lot of vicious, horrible, racist killings, and there's no reason for this— um, I think it's ugly for the media to just keep this narrative going. Wait, why did we start talking about it? We started Kaepernick. Just... Right, and that's what I don't like about it. It's continu- Where did he get that? Where did he get that in his head? Watching Rachel Maddow? Watching right. Lawrence O'Donnell? Right. I mean, it's reflective of something. I don't know. We're... Maybe he's smart. There is that there, that genius football player. I can't remember his name now. The one who has like a 200-point IQ and who he's is, doing physics, you know, advanced nuclear physics on the side. I don't know. If it's not Tom Brady, I don't know who it is. Oh, my gosh. You have to look this guy up. He's unbelievable. He's a black guy. Um, he's unbelievable. He's like writing symphonies on the side. But unless he's somebody like that guy whose name eludes me— um, you know, football players aren't that bright. Is the culture telling him 
that, you know, white America has been so terrible for you. Give right. me a break. America is the best anyone has ever had it. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. And it's all tied in with the immigration thing and this idea that we have to replace Americans. And the sooner, I mean, liberals will love America as soon as it's not America anymore. And that's why in my last book, Adios America, I kept giving a little a little view of what those other cultures are like. But I think Americans are finding out, you know, the, the honor killings and the burkas and clitorectomies um, and throwing gays from buildings and other cultures to ourselves um, have a problem with child rape and um, drunk driving. I mean, different cultures do have different crimes. We're used to we're used to um, American criminals tend to be dumb. Mm-hmm. which is a big advantage for the police. <laughs> yeah. Now we're getting, you know, criminals who are who are committing these vast financial frauds, stealing tens of millions of dollars from Medicare. Those aren't our criminals. Those are always foreign criminals. Right, right, right. And, you know, it's interesting, just as a general statement, it seems like, and you know, because you've been uh, doing what you've been doing for as long as you've been doing it, and you know that, and maybe it's reflective of who's the president and who has leadership, but it seemed like when Bush had the White House, this sort of yeah. movement, there was a lot more of the Michael Moores. There was a lot more of the liberal people, the, the angry sort of uh, people that were at, were the liberal people that were getting blah, blah, blah. Now right. it seems like there's far more conservatives, far more people on your end that are like, no, this isn't our party. This isn't blah, blah, right. blah. And, and, and that's where the anger is coming from. But I want to mention – if anybody uh, 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 doesn't believe that Trump has any policies whatsoever or want to buy and Donald Trump has to love you for this because you've kind of like made a case for him <laughs> in this book called. He ought to love me. Yeah. Should hang on my every word. Hang on my every has tweet. He, has he talked to you at all? A little bit. A little bit. You literally wrote a book in Trump. We trust E. Pluribus. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and it's just about how much. You want Donald Trump to be the president and how great he is. Well, it's explaining to the never Trumpers or the people who don't understand what's going on. It's explaining the Trump phenomenon. Well, Anne, thank you so much for coming thank by. Thank you. This was totally fun. You kept me way over and I've I had know. so much fun and I'm so sorry to interrupt your interview. No, not <laughs> no, at all. No, no, no. No, I'm very glad you're here and thank you for giving us your Friday before uh, uh, Labor Day and staying long and everything and uh, we'll have you back anytime. Definitely I will come back. This is my time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Listen to Sam Roberts show every night live from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern. Only on Sirius XM's Opie Radio. Sirius 206 XM 103. Follow the show on Twitter at SRShowSXM. And follow Sam on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NotSam. Get it all at NotSam.com and subscribe for a new online show every week. This has been Sam Roberts show on Sirius XM.